bulletin. It's a sermon handout. We're really only going to look at one dynamic of this handout this week. Um, and so really started last week with this teaching about the will of God. And, and I asked you to consider the things that are inevitable. There's really only two things that are inevitable. And it is inevitable that we're going to die. If you've been born, you're going to die. It's a very quick recap here. And the will of God is inevitable. It is inevitable. Whether we recognize it, see it, live under that truth, it is inevitable. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, teaching us how to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. John chapter 1 and uh, that verse we looked at last week out of that first chapter of John and makes this great statement in verse 13 that uh, we were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Our very birth, our life, uh, the sovereignty of God, his will is inevitable. And so we talked about that last week, uh, the source of all our conflict. So the source in Hannah, I did not visit with you this week because if I had a specific title for this morning's sermon, it would be our desire versus the desires of God. And so that was this great song about this is my desire. And so that's that word because the source of all of our conflicts, I don't care what you're having to deal with in your life, if you believe in spiritual warfare, and if you'll take and you'll examine your life in light of what Scripture says, and you just have an honest look at your life in retrospect and even in the present, and you say, okay, what's going on? You can always find, if you're, if you're looking, he who has eyes to see, let him see, you'll see the conflict, a spiritual conflict, or a conflict within our own desires of our flesh is, is our desires or a satanic desire that is not the desire of God. Our will versus God's will. Our desires, the demonic, the satanic desires that are in conflict with God's desire. And so we looked at that. There's great examples of that in Scripture. We read those Proverbs verses last week, made reference of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Eve and Adam, their desire was their desire. She saw that fruit. Satan tempted her, but she saw it. She knew what God's word, and she knew what God's will was. But it said she saw it, she desired it, she took and she ate of it. And so that's the conflict. Uh, really spent our time in James chapter 4. And so uh, then, so when I look and begin to examine my life in light of that, and not just my life, the body of Christ, the church, the source of all the conflicts in the church is always our will versus God's will. Always. It's what it is. The flesh uh, in conflict with the spirit. Our desires versus God's desire for us in his desire, period. And so uh, there's two Psalms. There's so many places we could have gone. I'd ask you to go to the Psalms and uh, Psalm 143 first. Psalm 143 first. Going to read a short verse there. Um, at the end of that Psalm, uh, verse 10, it says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. So the very first premise that we encounter in this dynamic, our conflict, the source of our conflicts, the, inevi the inevitable uh, reality of the will of God being done uh, is if I want to, overcoming that conflict, it begins with a thought, a mind, a heart, and a spirit that says, teach me to do thy will, uh, for thou art my God. Do you ever stop and think about that? 
That's an emphatic statement. Uh, if you know the Ten Commandments, how does it start? You're not to, you and I are not to have any other God before God. We're to worship him alone. The Bible in the Old Testament deals a great deal with idols. And we don't think, we don't really think in terms of idols today. Not like they did 3,500 years ago. Uh, the Egyptians came, or the Israelites, as they were freed from Egyptian bondage, their whole experience, they had been dealing with Egyptian idols for centuries. And then you just go right on through. They're, they're, the conflict that they would have with the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, even the Romans, it, it's central to part of their conflict was the idols that were very evident. I think the idols are more subtle in the world that we live in today. Nonetheless, they're there. We have idols. But there's this statement about, uh, my God, my God, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. So here's the, if we're honest again, examining ourselves, and we can say, okay, since the day I was born, I've been taught. We're learning. We're all students. Each and every one of us is learning daily. We're gathering information, we're, and, and, and it has a God. Every bit of information has a God. Did you think about that? Have you ever thought about that? Every piece of information has a God. Now, most of it's little g. It's not really a God. It's not really. But every piece, everything that we're learning, and I could go into great detail, has a God. And then there's the, the God. The God. Capital G. My God. And so we got to start there. And then it says, so let thy good spirit lead me on level ground. Let thy good spirit, his God, the God, and his good spirit lead. So we're being taught and we're being led. And if we're not being led by the spirit of God, it's an unlevel ground. Have you ever felt in your life that, that it, it, again, you're just overwhelmed? There's too many hills to climb. There's too many ups, there's too many downs, there's too many distractions, there's so much chaos, there's so much noise, and if I'm being taught by God, the God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, God the Father of Jesus Christ, what's happening is His good spirit, not an evil spirit, will lead me on level ground for the sake of thy name. O Lord, revive me. There's revival, and thy righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. There's deliverance. There's revival. And in thy loving kindness, cut off my enemies. Cut off my enemies. And destroy all those who afflict my soul. For what reason? For I'm thy servant. We just talked about, I mean, Jesus Christ, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. I read a great article um, turn to the 40th Psalm, and that's really going to be the heart of our message this morning. But I read a great article uh, this uh, two weeks ago, and it was it had to do with marriage, and then it had to do with all of our subsequent relationships. It says, so in your marriage, and if you, and there was some great um, specifics, dynamics. A uh, guy had a great history in Christian ministry and counseling. Um, the reference point, and he said. The demise of most marriages and relationships is there's a mindset that says, um, well, my husband's not meeting my needs. My wife's not meeting my needs. 
I'm not getting anything from this relationship. And the mindset with the good spirit of God that leads us should be, what can I do for my husband? What am I doing for my husband? What am I doing for my wife? Not what am I getting, but what am I doing? Being led on level ground by the good spirit of God, there's an application. But then he said even a church, look at the church. People today, culturally, we have been affected with this mentality. We come into a church relationship or we're part of a church relationship and, and we're part of a worship setting and we think, well, I'm not being fed. I'm not being led. I'm not being, what am I getting? What am I getting? And, and this experience here is supposed to be about one thing. What are you and I giving? And who are we giving it to? Not what am I getting? It should never be that way. Satan will give you, listen, he will give you more excuses to be offended, hurt feelings, upset, angry at anybody, preacher, elder, other church member, because I'm not getting my way. What if your heart was the heart of the good spirit of God leading you on level ground, uh, coming in and say, okay, I'm going to worship this morning. I'm go- this is not about me. It's about God. What am I giving to the Lord? You know, the scripture says that we actually bless the Lord. We think about being blessed, but the scripture says we bless the Lord. Now, are you being a blessing? Am I being a, a blessing unto the Lord as I come into the presence of God to worship him or I'm in relationship with the body of Christ? It'll never be if it's based upon I'm not getting my way. I need, I, nobody's doing this. I'm not being encouraged. I'm not. Well, really, that's the problem. The problem it should never be about what you and I are wanting or needing, it should be about him and what he needs and what he wants. That's paramount. But then so it could be your marriage. It could be a church relationship. It could be employment. Every dynamic of your life should be based upon being led by my God and the good spirit of God on level ground should be, what am I giving? Not what am I getting but what am I giving? And if there's any statement that verifies the Lord as the Lord, he came into this world and it was all about giving. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. It began with his father. He gave, he gave, as he walked, he gave He just gave and ultimately gave his own life to people that hated him. They hated him. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And so, there's a challenge. What am I giving instead of what's not being given to me? I need to take something. I've heard that before. Well, I need to take something away from the, I need, to, I had a great Jim Mankin, he said, he preached a sermon, he said, you know, people say, well, I need to take something away from the worship service. So we, he said, what does that statement mean? Probably means if you really look at it under the microscope of the spirit of God, the, what you need to take, take away from a worship service are those things that keep you from honoring God. But too many times it's like, well, Ah, you know, it has to do with what I'm getting instead of what I'm giving. It's just a challenge.
So now the desires, the conflict, this 140, or this 40th Psalm, I want to challenge you as we go through this real quickly. I just want to challenge you to think about something. Ask yourself as you read this, uh, as the writer of this psalm, and it's, it's the credit is given to David. And, and it's a psalm uh, about God sustaining his servant. Okay? And, and it's really a messianic psalm as well. Ultimately, it's about Christ. Um, but then you and I, and so uh, God sustains his servant. But I, as you read these verses, I want to ask you, if, if I had to ask you, was this psalm a psalm of desire? Was it written with desire? We can all see passion and desire. We can hear it. We can see it. It's obvious to us. It doesn't really have to be defined. You can see desire, good and bad. You can see an athlete that plays the game with tremendous desire. You can see a child that pursues whatever they're pursuing, whether it's their education or the things that they want or think and they need or whatever, anybody, you can literally see and hear desire. Our conflict is our desires versus God's desire. So as we read this psalm, I'm going to ask you, you tell me, what is the desire of the writer of this psalm? So, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. You think that's a passionate, passionless? Uh, that is a powerful, passion-filled statement. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. There's a testimony, a desire that just overwhelmingly coming out of the spirit of this, this psalm writer, and he says, I waited patiently. Have you waited? Pa How, what are the times in your life in the desires of your will in your life and what you want, what you're needing, what you're hoping to get, and, and then your impatience with God. Joseph spent 13 years in an Egyptian prison. You could just go on. Look at the story of Job. And in order for my desires to be the desires of God, there's a key word that I better, it better be paramount in my life. And that is patience. And not just any kind of patience, but waiting patiently for the Lord. I think it's the hardest thing that we ever do. Our desire is to be impatient with what I'm not getting, and God's desire for you and I is to patiently wait for the Lord. How many problems in your life could have been resolved if you look back and if you were to be honest and you said, you know what I did? Here was the miss. My marriage was falling apart. I'm struggling with the disease. I, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. You know what suicide is a result of in many cases? A despair, a desperation that there's no hope anymore. There's no patience left. And the only way that I can find relief is to take my life. It's tragic. That's a pretty, um, pretty tragic uh, 
scenario, isn't it? And this writer said, I waited patiently for the Lord. I have to tell you, if I'm really going to walk in the desires of God, I need to learn. I need to learn to wait patiently for the Lord because he always brings us out. If we have a testimony at all, we ought to be able to say to a lost and dying world, we should be able to say, oh my, I understand. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. Let me tell you, I can, I, I, my testimony is I have been there. I know it. I've seen it. I, I've lived through it. I waited patiently for the Lord. And let me tell you what he does. My God always brings us out of the pit of destruction. He always gets us out of the miry clay. He always sets our feet upon the rock. And we know today that Jesus Christ is that rock. He does it. That's what he does. He picks you up. He brings you out. He, he sets your feet upon the rock, making what? Your, my footsteps firm. When we're living in our desire, in conflict to God's desire, your footsteps are never firm. They're never. You don't, won't have a firm footstep. You won't. Satan has it. He doesn't offer firm footsteps. The world doesn't offer firm footsteps. Your desires don't offer firm footsteps. But God does in his desires. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. David in his great sin with Bathsheba and then confronted by the prophet and he just, he's confronted and, and he puts a scenario in place that was exactly like David's. A man that had many sheep and one that only had one. And the man that had many conspired to kill and take that sheep that he desired. In spite of the many that he had. And the prophet comes to him and tells him that scenario. And he says, what should happen to this man? And, and, the, and, and David said, this man should be condemned. He should die. And the prophet pointed his finger at him and said, you're the man. And what did he do? David wrote a song. He wrote a song. God put a new song in his heart. He wrote that 51st Psalm. You need to read it. Oh, against you, Father, against you and only you I've sinned. Recreated me a new heart, Father. Oh, don't hold my sins against me. Only God can do that. Verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud and to those who lapse into falsehood. I could just camp right there and preach a sermon. I mean, almost everything that goes wrong in our life, in fact, I would say everything, is that our trust is in the wrong place. Our trust is in myself, which if you learn anything at all, growing up, maturing, aging, um, what, what we should learn is that, you know what? We're feeble, we're fallible, we're weak. 
We're easily broken. We're easily angered. We're easily selfish. And, and it all has to do with our trust. Our trust. Our faith. I trust in my money. I trust in my intelligence. I trust in my belongings. I trust in my family. I trust in a, I don't know, a, a something which is temporary. And, and, and least of all, ourselves. But when our desires are his desires, we understand that my trust is in the Lord. And so I'm going to be blessed. My footsteps are firm. I've been brought out of the miry clay. I, I can see and fear. And what also happens is that as I live and my desire is God's desire, there's many, many that will trust in the Lord. The greatest natural form of evangelism is the world, and the world is as a man and a woman, and it ought to be seen. I'm going to talk about this next week, referencing back to this 12th chapter of Romans. You, I, your Christianity should be seen and should be heard. And what it really will look like is someone who is patiently waiting on the Lord, someone who's crying out to the Lord, someone who's been delivered by the Lord, Somebody who has firm footsteps. Somebody, because of that, they, they have the right trust in the right place, in the right person, and the person is God. And so people will see it. You can't fake it. And many will trust in the Lord. But too many times our trust is based upon pride, falsehood. And we're not even aware of it. You know, Paul writes, he said, uh, about Christians, professing Christians. It's a despotic situation. He said, uh, they so love the lie that God gave them a powerful delusion. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about Christians, professing Christians, loving a lie. And so God would give them a powerful delusion. And we keep reading, many, O Lord, verse 5, my God, are the wonders which thou hast done, and thy thoughts towards us, there's none to compare with thee. None to compare. I would declare and speak of them. Uh, if I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Two things. I don't know how, um, in, again, in spiritual warfare, Satan's desire is to kill and steal and destroy. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. His native tongue is deception, John in chapter 8. He's the father of all lies. And, 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 and in that spiritual reality, and you look at the history of men and the reality of Scripture, and you see the despotic condition of an individual. I always think of King Saul in the Old Testament. What a, what a despotic story. Oh, it just breaks your heart. A man that was given so much. And to his own demise, he fell upon his own sword, surrounded by enemies. And I, I think about how Satan desires that for you. Satan's desire as he accuses and kills and destroys is for you to look into a mirror desiring the wrong things. And then ultimately it's going to come to an end. And then the end is someone who could be so proud and 
and, and so powerful in our own pride and so uh, 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 pleased with our own strong self-will and our abilities. Satan loves it when we brag about ourselves. Satan loves it when we give a resume that uh, has a sense in it that, you know, and we get pretty good at that, don't we? We can convey to people pretty easily uh, how accomplished we are, what our resume is. And Satan loves it, and, and so it leads to nothing. It's certainly not the desire of God, but when you are starting and moving and working in towards the desire of God, something happens. You begin to see something and understand something that there are many, many are the wonders which thou hast done and the thoughts towards us. Satan doesn't want you to think about the thoughts that God has towards us. He just doesn't. He loves to demean anything that God would do. Anything. He wants us to see the creation as some kind of a, a, a big bang explosion. He, he wants us anything to remove God and his wonders, but then ultimately this. How much comfort? I don't know what your life looks like. I know what my life looks like. And I can assure you, this passage has been a great comforter for me. Because no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how down I am, no matter how feeble I am, even in my own sin, I'm reminded that his thoughts towards me, he has a, there, nobody, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God as an advocate for you and I. And even though our sins were crimson, he made them white as snow. And his voice said it on the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the reality is, you are thought of daily by God in ways that you don't even. You don't, if you take the person that loves you the most in this world, and the God in heaven is thinking about you, has thoughts about you and I, that would, would make the kindest, most loving thoughts in the world that anybody might have for you pale in comparison. God is love. What a powerful statement. It'd be too numerous to count. I cannot count the wonders and the thoughts that God has for me, for you. Powerful. And then, sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired. My ears thou hast opened. Burn offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll. I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I, here it is. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God, thy law is within my heart. Recap. Waiting patiently for the Lord. Knowing he's going to hear my cry. He brings me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. He, he sets my feet upon a rock, the rock being Jesus Christ, making my footsteps firm. He puts a new song in my mouth, in my mouth, a song of praise to, to our God. And because of that, many will see it and they'll fear it. They won't understand it. They'll respect it, but they'll be led to a trust in the Lord. You want to be blessed? Put your trust in the Lord. You want to turn away from the proud and or for those that lapse into falsehood? 
Have you considered the wonders which thou hast done and the thoughts towards us? There's none to compare with thee. I declare and speak of them, but they're being too numerous to count. And then finally, this is it. So as you understand that and you're living in the desire of God, there's only, something becomes very clear. Something becomes very clear. God's people have struggled with it since the beginning. Certainly since, uh, certainly since the days of the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, really clearly with Moses and the Israelites in the desert, and then the 12 tribes of Israel as they go into promised land, and they become the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. And for centuries, they, they lived in the promised land, and they had many victories and many failures. Do you know what their biggest failure was? Their sacrifice and meal offerings. Their burnt offering and sin offering. That was their biggest problem. They believed, like many have believed and even believe today, that somehow, some way, it was the Pharisees' problem. I can learn this word, memorize this word. Uh, it's the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. I quote this many times because it's so emphatic. He's in the temple and he's praying to God and he looks and he says, Lord, thank you for not making me like other men, like this sinner over here. Because I, I, listen, I'm a burnt offering guy. Man, I'm a sacrifice guy. I know what the law says, man. I, that's who I am. I'm a, I'm a burnt offering guy. I'm a sin offering guy. And listen, he had been deceived. And you and I can be deceived in believing that that's what the Lord requires. I could go so many different places with this. I, I don't have time this morning. There are preachers that, that preach uh, <laughs> about planting a seed of money or whatever it could be. It's the prosperity gospel. That's just one. There are contrasts to that. Preachers that talk about this obedience, obey, 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 obey. We should give and we should be obedient. But it's not because of what the Lord has required. It's because of what the Lord has done. Think about what faith without works is dead. Now that's a fact. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. And we've got, we've got it all mixed up because our desire even desires to make me the determiner of what the Lord requires so that I can save myself, appease myself, walk in my own self-righteousness. And so this passionate, God-will-desiring psalm written out of the heart Understanding every dynamic in his life, he said, I have to. It has to be done. I have to figure out what you require, Lord. What you require. And then here it is. Then I said, 
be whole. You should just do a topical study on the word behold in Scripture. A preacher could preach five years of Sundays just preaching Genesis through Revelation every time the word behold is written. Behold. Mm, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Now, I'm just going to ask you. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is it? And if you can't answer that question, this study is for you. I mean, it is. I don't believe we can ever assuredly answer that question, make that statement. Listen, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. This man, this man could say that. And he could say it because his delight was to do thy will. And it was based upon the word of God that was written in his heart. You can have the word of God written in your mind. But if it's not written in your heart, you're just a clanging symbol that quotes scripture. Believing you've met some kind of requirement. This stained glass window up here, and I've referred to it. It's Jesus in the garden, and, and, and he prays, and he prays so that his sweat becomes like blood. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. And he had to pray it several times. He said, however, not my will, but your will be done. And I believe with all my heart that ultimately it was a delight to Jesus, the Son of God, to do his will. It was a conflict. It was a conflict. But ultimately he could affirm, not my will, but your will be done. And he did it based upon one thing. The law, the word of God, that was within his heart. You and I have a lot of stuff within our heart. We got a lot of stuff within our heart. Maybe most of what's in our heart are the desires of men and the flesh, but they're not God's word that is written in our heart. So we're going to move forward next week. And my prayer this morning is that you read that psalm and you let those words soak into your mind and your heart and your spirit. And you challenge yourself to look at, are my desires God's desires? 
because it's the source of every conflict. And ultimately that conflict led to a place called Golgotha. And the great victory of over all the demonic desires was the Son of God. Ultimately saying, it's finished. It's finished. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for teaching us. We thank you for teaching us your will and your desires. I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive. and I pray that our hearts would challenge ourselves to look at, look at us, look at me, look at the things in my heart that are my desires and not your desires. And if whatever it is, Father, I pray that you remove it. Just remove any desire or will in my heart that is not yours. And make my heart to be the heart of your son. And live according to his will. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.